Welcome to the C3V podcast. Uh, Bibles, if you want to uh, turn to the book of Luke in chapter 2, uh, we're going to start in uh, Luke chapter 2, uh, 15 to 20-ish, and then to keep things interesting, we're going to work our way backwards. Haha, <laughs> didn't see that coming, did you? Anyway, uh, so ugly Christmas. Here we go. Luke 2, 15 and 20. It says this, And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, to which the Lord has made known to us. And while they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the, uh, the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered, and what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in their heart. And the shepherds ret- returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Beautiful. And they went, the little bit that we're going to look at here is they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. You see, so much of the beginning of Jesus' life was what you could pretty much call ugly. It wasn't this uh, sanitized, beautiful rendition that we see today. Things were ugly. The the point in history was even ugly. The Jewish people, they they were all waiting for a Messiah to come and rule on their behalf. Man, they were ready for a time of retribution. Unfortunately, they got a grace, uh, but they wanted they wanted power. Unfortunately, um, they got sacrifice. They wanted a ruler, but they got a suffering servant. They were planning for the um, expulsion of the Romans. They wanted a, a Jewish king and court and like a worldwide dominion going forth from Mount Zion. But unfortunately, he was thinking about righteousness and holiness and peace and doing the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. They were waiting for God to promote them. They were, they were waiting for him to raise up an army. Unfortunately, he did. They were just full of the meek and the mourners and the brokenhearted. They just weren't ready. Jesus didn't come to this world just to reform or change or tweak existing systems and power structures. He came to bring the kingdom of heaven onto earth. And the time in the history was ugly. And then the birthplace. We see up here the birthplace was ugly. It wasn't clean. It wasn't sterile. It hadn't been wiped, wiped down with light Lysol wipes. It hadn't been fogged. There were no clear perspex screens protecting everybody. It was Dirk. It was Dirk. Dirk wasn't there. Uh, I don't know who he is and how he's entered the Christmas story, but Dirk wasn't there. All right? Sorry. It was dark, even. Perhaps is a better word to use. Dark. <laughs> dark. Uh, it's the Christmas sweater. It's set me off. Uh, it was dark. Uh, it, it, it was dirty. It was smelly. Come on, this is where the animals lived. I, I've, I've been to a farm a few, few times. You don't leave going, man, I wish I had that scent on me more often. None of that. It was... It was, it was cold. It was most likely just a cave. Well, I'm not going to go into this. I love the correlation that 
Jesus was born in a cave and then at Easter time he walked out of a cave. Those two separate things. But this is, it was used for cattle, it was used for sheep, for donkeys, for horses. This is the place where the animal lived. You know, and we try and make this scene so beautiful. You know, we see all the things. There's like perfectly shaped stables. There's sleeping animals resting over here. There's the cow laying down. There's the, you know, the horse over here just nodding. I don't know why they're nodding. They always seem to be nodding. There's sleeping animals. There's baby sheep. There's a little, you know, there's, there's baby goats. You know, a, a family of little chickens goes past. You know, there's a light snow falling in the crisp air. You know, there's a glowing baby for some reason. Like, come on, this is, we try and make all these things like a beautiful representation of what it was like. It was ugly. It was ugly. And I think this is the same scenario that sometimes we try and deal with today. You see, we try and hide our ugly. We put up images of the perfect, especially Christmas time. We put up images of candy canes and eggnogs and I got a Starbucks holiday cup and, you know, Mariah Carey's playing or we've got, you know, yeah. And, you know, you've got sweater wearing blue buble going on in the background and, you know, it's all it's all just beautiful and lovely. We're watching Home Alone or we're watching, watching Elf or we're watching... Uh, Hallmark, where every single flippin' thing is exactly the same movie over and over and over and over. <sighs> Breathe. Tie Hard, the Christmas extravaganza. <sighs> Gremlins is a Christmas movie. Anyway, let's, we're going to get in the debate here about what's Christmas and what's not. Uh, trees, ornaments, rosy-cheeked fat men. Uh, whatever it is, we only talk and we only show and we only and we just gloss over all the bad. You know, you, you, it, but the kingdom always seems to be the opposite. And why the world pushes this thing of that we have to be perfect. If you just had the perfect body, if you just had the right abs, all your problems in life would be solved. It's solved by abs. You know, if you can just get your hair right or the makeup right, or, or if you wear the right outfit that you've seen by the influence, whatever it is, you've got the right clothes, cars, houses. This is what the world pushes on us, but the kingdom is the opposite. And the Lord says in Samuel, I don't look at the outward, I just look at the heart. And while the world pushes this picture of perfection, God says, let me right into the midst, right into those bits that you're trying to hide, right into your very own, very personal, ugly situation, and that's where you'll find me. And Matthew says it's because of out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's why God's interested in the inside, not the outside. I hate to break it to you. He doesn't care how your hair looks. Big hair, don't care. That's God's motto. No, just, I don't, I'm just making that up. That's, don't, that's not in my notes. Because when our hearts are right and our thoughts are right, our words and our actions will follow. And God's always looking past the external and says, let me into the unsanitized, the smelly, dark, and the hidden. 
and that's where it is. And in the midst of our ugly, that's where we can find Jesus. You see, I've looked through this over and over, and I can't find anywhere where perfection is God's requirement for us. I can't find it. What I find is that it's for the lonely, and it's for the hurting, and it's for the disheartened, and it's for the broken, and it's for the confused, and the ashamed, and the isolated, the outcast, the lost, the sick, the hungry, the weary, the rich, the religious, the business person, whatever, there, that's what we find. And then above all of that, that we find that it's not about perfection, but it's actually for everybody. It's for all people. And as we start to work our way back, it says, the angels said to them, said to the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Here's the deal. Shepherds were ugly folk. (laughs) They weren't the pretty ones. Oh, I'm sorry. They weren't. They were the rough, they were the rugged, they were the outdoorsy men, but not like the GQ outdoorsy men, like the real, you know, outdoorsy men, you know, missing teeth, blisters and wrinkles and, and all the things. That was it is. They were, they were, they're known as, they were plain, simple men. That's really not the whatever you want for yourself. They were illiterate probably, they were working class. It wasn't, it wasn't a job that you aspired to be. No little boy grew up saying, I want to be a shepherd. It was just kind of like, oh, and he ended up a shepherd. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Maybe that's where Dirk ended up as a shepherd. I don't know. And their portion of scripture, it only appears in Luke, and really, it's even, you could even skip over it, and you wouldn't even know. Like the story could just go from verse 7, she gave birth to a firstborn son, she laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them at the inn. And then you could say, over here, and when the angel, and anyway, I'm trying to go off my notes, and that just didn't work at all. (sighs) Anyway, but they weren't versed in scriptures. They, They were probably not even aware of a prophecy that a son would be born. They they had no idea about it. They were just hard working. Their, their occupation too meant that they were unclean all the time. They were always dirty. And because they could never get clean, they could never actually even go into the temple to worship. They were total, just total outcasts. But when God wanted to get the message out, he didn't go to see Caesar and he didn't go to the governor and he didn't even go to the high priest. He went out in the field. He chose shepherds because he wasn't coming for a religion, but a relationship. And in spite of how unworthy we think we are or the lines that we've crossed or however our life has turned out, this is who God chooses to get his word out. And Luke makes note of it because Luke was a Gentile. Luke, the book of Luke is literally about this, that outsiders matter to God. That people who look like they shouldn't be used by God get used by God. That is Luke's, that's Luke's message from beginning to end. Even the genealogy he shows of Jesus. Matthew would show that the genealogy goes back to Abraham. Luke says, no, the genealogy goes all the way back to Abraham to show that we're all in this together. That we're not excluded. That it is the outsider that can be used. This is the good news. 
The good news too, as the angels declare, is for all people. Not some people. Not the right people. But all people. Are you an all people? You're an all people. This is the, this is the angel says, this is the good news. This is it right now. This is the good news. And the good news is kind of the, is, is the word for gospel. Now, I learned this this week, so let's see how we go here. The Greek word for, is evangelion. Evangelion. It's, it's two words. It's kind of, uh, evi is, is kind of good. That's, that's the Greek for good. Good. And Gelion is where we get angels, we get like message, we get messenger. So it's like a good message, Evangelion, good message. That's what it means is you put them together. So good message or um, good news. That's the, that's the word there. That's Evangelion. Now we've, we've made words like this, um, church, churchy, you know, it's the gospel. I'm here for the gospel. You know, we've turned all these words churchy. But before the church got a hold of it, Evangelion was a military term. wasn't a church wasn't a church term. It was a military term, kind of like what we started to hear last week about how the enemy has been defeated. So, so this is what would happen. Say there was a a big a big army is coming to attack a city. So the city would all get together, and they would they would form together, and they'd say, "Okay, now let's get let's get our." army together and they would they would send off people I love this they would send off people to fight a battle on their behalf so they'd send off they'd send off the army now say they won they've done it they've, this is the victory and so they would they would they would pick out a, a young fast guy and they'd say, right, you're going to tell everybody now that we've won. And they would, they would send him off with the Evangelion. They would say, this is the Evangelion. Now you go and you tell the city the Evangelion. So he would come back. He would, he would take the good news. He would take the good message and they'd send him off. Now, you know what they called that little guy that they'd send off? Not Dirk. They'd send him off with the Evangelion, and the guy, he was called an evangelist. So the evangelist would take the Evangelion, and he'd get as close to town as he could, and then he'd get up on a hill, and he would say, We've won! Victory has been accomplished. The enemy has been defeated. And that, that word that he spoke, the... The word, the Evangelion that he spoke, the word that the evangelist spoke was called a gospel. And this, this is the good news that the angels declare. The Evangelion that they declare, the good news that they declare, the gospel that the angels declare is this. It's for all people. It's for everybody. This is, this is the message. And that was the mission that stayed with Jesus his entire life. Even from birth, we can see it was about the marginalized, the outcast, the forgotten, the ones in the field. That's who it was about. 
And just two chapters later, Jesus stands up in the temple and makes a declaration that he's here to set free the oppressed, the, the downtrodden, the shattered. Freedom for the brokenhearted is what he declares. I'm here for the bruised and the battered. And all three through the gospels, all through the good news, all through the message, we see that Jesus just touching lives of those that shouldn't have been touched. He's going in houses. He's going where? He's eating with all the wrong people. He's going in all the wrong houses because this was for all people. For him, it never mattered who you were and really it never mattered where you were. You could have been, you could have been a tax collector. You could have been a thief. You could have been a cripple. You could have been a leper, rich, poor, child. didn't really matter even where you were. People were found in houses, at wells, up trees, on boats, dangling from roofs, crawling in the dirt, even hanging on a cross. And in one extreme case, they were found even dead in a cave. Why? Because this gospel is for all people. It's for all. And the kingdom that Jesus spoke out was this. You can come as you are. Just come as you are. You don't need to get things perfect. You don't need to get your ducks all in a row. You don't need to get things aligned. Just come as you are. You know, the gospel, it presents us with a challenge, not just to believe in a concept or a theory or some, or some you know, self-help practice. This gospel can, forces us to decide, is he the word? And did the word become flesh? It forces us to think, was Jesus conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin? Was he fully human and fully God and then he was set to proclaim that the captives would be released, that the blind would see him, that the oppressed would be set free? That while blameless, he was crucified, died and buried in a tomb? It forces us to believe, is he the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end? It forces us to think about that, is he our peace? Is he our hope? Is he our redeemer? Is he the bread of life? Is he the light of the world? Is he the king of kings? And is he the Lord of lords? Become as you are. Come as you are. Will there be change? Probably. I would think so. But we don't have to change before we get on the journey. Come as you are. God's more interested in your destination than your previous locations. Because God, he looks at the heart not the output. And so if we work our way back again, we get into Luke 2.46 and it says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Have you ever noticed how very little memory stays in her hometown when she gets pregnant? She gets pregnant, she goes away for three months and visits Elizabeth. Then she's back for a little while, and then I can only assume here, uh, most would say that Joseph didn't need to take Mary with him. But I'm guessing things were a little hot in the town. There were plenty of words being said. 
Maybe the words in the town, maybe the words that were spoken were ugly. And he said, come on, we've got to, we just got to get out of here. You see, as they leave town, I wrote this, that God's not afraid of what you're coming out of. And maybe you're about, in this season, you're about to get out of something where you've been. And you think, no, well, where I've been is real bad and God's going to have to. He's saying, no, no, I'm not afraid of what you're coming out of. Just get on the journey. Just get, just get out of town. You see, I don't think Joe Joseph gets enough credit. Come on, he took an 80-mile an journey with a pregnant woman on a camel. Come on, that can't be easy. When, when Essex was being born, uh, Susanna was in labor and we had to drive to the hospital. Just across North Van, that's all. You know, a kilometer, perhaps. We drove. And I went too fast over some speed bumps. Right? That's it. Just a kilometer, too fast, over some speed bumps. And I never hit the end of it. <laughs> never. He took a pregnant lady 80 miles through a desert on a camel. Come on, the guy deserves plenty of credit because that can't have been easy at all. And Joseph really doesn't get much credit at all through Scripture. You know, I, th- I almost think he's like the forgotten part of the story. But the part that he played was so important. You see, it says in Matthew's account, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Okay, I don't care what day and age you're in. If your fiancé says she's pregnant and you know you didn't play a role, it's a little awkward. doesn't matter if it's 2,000 years ago or it's last week. Things are getting a little awkward. There's the little bit of goss going on. Have you seen Mary? You know, Mary, did you know? You know, that's, yeah, that, there's, there's, there's this, this kind of like the ugliness of the gossip that was probably around them. And it says, him being a, a just man, I'm willing to put him to shame. I'm willing to put her to shame. I love that the first reflection that man had about Jesus was an act of grace. And he said, you know what, I don't need to, sh- I don't need to shame you. We just, we'll just do this slow, slowly. We'll just do this quietly. Things, things are really ugly right now. And we just need to, like, we, I'm not going to, you know, promote your ugliness. I'm just, we're just going to, we'll just do it quiet. We'll just do it, do it quiet. And it says, and as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to, appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife, for, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. As he considered these things, behold. It's like, as he considered how he was going to deal with the ugly, it's like God interrupts. God intervenes right, right into the middle of, of the most ugly situation that Joseph had probably ever found himself in the midst of, as he considered those things, behold, God turns up right in the midst of our ugly. Right at the time. And it's like there's a moment where everything changes. 
where God weaves himself into our story. Where we thought it was too ugly to be redeemed, God shows up. When we think it was too far past God, God shows up. When we think that we'd gone too far and we'd made too many mistakes, God shows up. In the midst of the, of the bankruptcy, in the midst of the lost job, in the midst of the health battle, God interrupts and his story weaves together. Because again, like I was saying before, we have to get where this isn't a God of theory. The God of your parents won't be enough for you. The God of your grandparents isn't enough for you. You need to find and discover God. And even if it's ugly, even in the midst of that, that's where he can show up. That's where he's always shown up. That's where he will continue to show up. Right in the midst of the hurting, the lonely, the broken, the poor, the mourning, that's where you can find him. Because the Bible says it's good news, Emmanuel. It's the story of God with us. Not God ashamed of our ugly, but God with us. God coming beside us. And we can go around this room and we can see story after story of how in the midst of your ugliness, God showed up and found himself right next to you in the midst of it. Where God weaved himself into your story. And verse 25 goes on and it says, And he called his name Jesus. See, Joseph had to make a decision. He got his behold. God into, into you know, turned up. But then Joseph still had to do something important. He still had to name him Jesus. He still had to take, you know, this is, he still had to take ownership of his ugly. He still had to own it. He said, yeah, this is an ugly situation. This isn't what I thought. This isn't how I thought this process would be. But it says, but, but he called his name and Jesus. It's powerful. Joseph says, he is my son. That's what the naming was. He said, he doesn't, he doesn't let the ugly situation pull him away from his destiny. He says, this is my, this is my son. And his name, his name is Jesus. He, he adopts him in. He's, Joseph says, all that I have, and all that I am, I give it to you. All of my history, all of my heritage, I give to you. He says, Jesus, all that I am, all that I have, I adopt you into my family. You are my son, and your name is Jesus. I own you. You're mine. You're caught. You're in my family. You're his. And once adopted... You see, it's like the battles that have already been won become battles that you've won. The paths that have already been beaten on your behalf are paths that you have crossed. The inheritance that is, is now yours. Joseph is saying to Jesus, now my story is your story. My history is your history. My lineage is your lineage. In naming Jesus, Joseph confirms his adoption of Jesus as a son, an adoption that established him legally 
that legally establishes Jesus in the descent of David. The whole plan could have fallen apart right there if Joseph had have said, my past is too ugly, I can't walk into the future. It all could have fallen apart. Jesus is actually the only person of Jewish descent that you can track their genealogy all the way back because all the records were burnt in a temple. Only Jesus. Jesus is the only one. But it all could have fallen apart if Joseph had have said, things are too ugly. I can't do it. But he didn't. He said, all of my heritage from Adam to Abraham David, to Uzziah, to my father, Jacob. All that I have, I give it to you. What a great analogy because we see that as Joseph began Jesus' life like that, it's the same story that we read that God does to us. That he says, all that I have, and all that I am, and all of my history, and all of my lineage, and all of my inheritance, I give it to you. It says this in Galatians, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Through all these letter, Paul continually reinforces this, most likely because of his transformation. We'll touch on it in a minute. In Romans 8, he writes, For all, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You receive the spirit of adoption as sons. We are children of God, and if children, then heirs, and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That all there that he puts in is like the most emphatic form to it to be inclusive of everyone. Paul's liking all, everybody. Paul's writing it because of the conversion that he went through. You see, Paul's, Paul's life before his conversion was ugly. It was ugly. He was out there, you know, killing, stoning, bringing people down, doing everything he can, the most religious of the religious trying to do whatever he could. His, he watched over deaths. He, he was just involved in everything. Things were ugly. And it's interesting that we looked at it the other week that, that on his journey from Jerusalem to Rome, he's involved in a shipwreck. It's even more interesting that on the shipwreck, he's the one saying, this is, we're going to get out of this. It's going to be, it's okay. No one's, no one's going to die. I've had a vision. God's talking to me. We're all going to be okay. And everyone turned out to be okay. And as they washed ashore on the island of Malta, they start to build a fire. And as they're building a fire, Paul reaches down for some wood and, and, a, and a viper latches onto his hand. 
Now, Paul had just been the voice of God through their difficult situation. He'd been the one. And the first sign that something's going wrong, it's interesting that they don't say, they don't say, oh, you must have heard wrong from God. Right? Man of God, what is wrong? They don't say that. What do they say? They say murderer. You must have been, you, this man must be a murderer. Here's the interesting thing. Well, he had been. He had been. Before his conversion, that's what he was. And it's funny how the enemy will always try and remind us of our ugly. They'll always try and pull you back from where you are to where you were, to who you were. He tries to pull that. But this is the thing. Your ugly doesn't define you, but it will definitely try and remind you. And we will blame ourselves and we'll come up with all these reasons for, to disqualify ourselves. Oh, well, I did. But don't fall into the trap of thinking getting what you deserve is the gospel because it's not. That's not the gospel. And sometimes it's easier for us to exclude ourselves from God's plan than to accept that he has one for us. Proverbs puts it like this, don't allow the scars of your own conscience to become the ropes that tie you up. So Paul, attacked by a snake, does something great. He shakes it off. Shake it off. Like Taylor Swift said it. Just shake it off. I'm telling you that when the ugly tries to get you, just shake it off. We've got to just be people who can just shake it off. Not go back, oh, they're right. I am a murderer. No, let's sh- we've got to shake it off. We've got to shake it off. You see, what you were has no hold on who you are. What you were has no hold on who you are. And begin to wrap up. Let me say this. Let this... But this Christmas, let me declare the Evangelion. Let me declare your Christmas Evangelion. Let me declare, that word's hard to say. Let me declare this good news. Let me declare this gospel. You are chosen. You are called. You are anointed. You are appointed. You are set free. You are redeemed. You are worthy. You are treasured. You are blessed. You are adopted. You are loved. You are forgiven. And this is the gospel for all people. So come as you are is really the call. Come in all your ugly. Come in all your disaster. Come in all your letdowns. He's not shying away from it. He's not trying to run away from it. He's saying, let me in on the journey. Let me turn up in the most unexpected, ugliest place that you have and let's walk this out together. Don't let it keep pulling you back this year. 
as we move through this season, don't let it keep trying to define who you are. It's not. You are those. You are chosen. You are called. You are loved. You are blessed. You are anointed. You're forgiven. And maybe this Christmas, maybe that's the message that you need to hear, that you are forgiven. That however this year has been, however how ugly it is right now, when you leave here and you go home and no one's looking, in the midst of that ugliness, I want to tell you that you're forgiven. Because if you think that you have done too much, then the cross was not enough. And I can guarantee, stake everything on it, that that cross is more than enough than any of your ugly. So this morning, why don't we just stand up? Thanks for listening to the C3V podcast. To find out more about our church, visit us at c3v.ca.